And we are back with the Chat Chat Radio Show here on WNRI. A lot going on in the sports world this week, so we do have a packed show today. Obviously, the Super Bowl coming this Sunday. We saw Josh McDaniels, the Patriots quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator. I don't really know what his official title was. He will be going to the Las Vegas Raiders as their head coach. Mac Jones showed some personality in the Pro Bowl, if you will. Touch a little bit on that. Uh, we also got a situation here with Brian Flores. He's kind of going back and forth with the NFL. We'll touch on that. Sean McVay kind of has a chance here to be or at least start on the path to being one of the next great head coaches in the NFL. So I want to talk about that and we'll have some more. But let's go to the Super Bowl right now to start it off. And really, it's going to be a game that... The Bengals are the inferior opponent, but they've been the inferior opponent for two weeks now and have made it out of both those games and find themselves in the Super Bowl. And what Joe Burrow is doing is defying everything we've seen from quarterbacks over the last decade and even more than that. I mean, the excuses that you could give great quarterbacks in the NFL was always along the lines of, well, he doesn't have a great offensive line or, you know, that team has a bad defense, so he's got to outscore his defense every every week or, you know, things to that nature. And obviously, we always talk about the weapons. That's not an issue for Joe Burrow as the Bengals have really built a solid offense weapons-wise. I mean, Joe Burrow goes out there and he's got multiple guys that can take over a game receiving wise. You look at what T. Higgins can do. A lot of the times he's being guarded by probably the second best cornerback on whichever team it is because of the fact that they have Jamar Chase as well. There's also Tyler Boyd who mixes in there. And if you leave him open, he's going to do some damage as well. I mean, he's really had a good season for Cincinnati. He's he's one of those guys that, like I said, I mean, if he's left in the background, he will definitely step up and he can do some damage but then you look at the backfield you got Joe Mixon back there and and he's really had a fine season one of a season that's really gone under the radar here I mean everybody wants to talk about Joe Burrow and I get it he obviously he's the quarterback he's a young quarterback and what he's doing has been extremely impressive given the circumstances that he's just he's not supposed to be here right now but Joe Mixon has been a huge part of this offense and he's going to be a huge part in the Super Bowl I mean, let's be honest about it. The Rams have a very good pass rush. They have two of the biggest names in the entire NFL on their defensive line. When you look at Aaron Donald, when you look at Von Miller. I mean, Von Miller's won a Super Bowl MVP before. He has taken over a Super Bowl. He's been here. He's done that. This is not a moment that should be too big for him in the slightest. And it's going to be interesting to see how Cincinnati takes their approach against such a good defensive line. I mean, you got to double Aaron Donald. I mean, that's what teams do every single week, and it's, and it's still not enough. It, that's how good of a defensive player he is. I mean, he has a case to be the greatest defensive player ever, and, and that's not overstating it. I mean, that, that's really the truth just because of the level in which he plays at and the damage he does with the double coverage on him. It, it, it's not just one guy, it's two, and he's still giving the production that a lot of guys don't even do when they're, they're, they're guarded by one person. And But then if you're going to double... Aaron Donald, it's going to take a lot to stop Von Miller. I don't think you can you can kind of double both guys. So one guy is going to be left one-on-one. And Von Miller can eat just as well 
in a situation against an offensive line that really is not that great. I get it. I, I, I say it every week. I mean, they've had two offensive linemen that graded fairly decent on the PFF scale. But overall, that offensive line is not good. Joe Burrow, notoriously for the last two years, is a guy that gets sacked a ton. He, he really just doesn't have a lot of time to throw the ball most times. But all of a sudden in these playoffs, the offensive line has stepped up a little bit outside of that Tennessee game. I mean, the Titans really took it to them. Nine sacks were let up by the Cincinnati Bengals. And that's why I kind of always come back to this aspect of this Super Bowl. That's what I'm going to be watching the most here is can the Rams defensive line get after Joe Burrow and consistently bring the pressure, allow him to be uncomfortable all game, allow him to take some sacks. I mean, that's going to be something to watch because that's key for the L.A. Rams. They have to make Joe Burrow uncomfortable. They have to throw him off because what we've seen in these playoffs is when he is comfortable, he delivers a strike nearly every single time, and that's how the Bengals move the ball down the field. The way to trip this team up is Number one, starting with pressure on Joe Burrow. And the Rams should be able to bring that. I mean, like I just said, they have two of the best pass rushers in the NFL. So they should be able to take advantage of that. Now, another interesting aspect of this game is the fact that Matt Stafford is really playing to show that he can be a winner. Matt Stafford was drafted number one overall, and he had a pretty good career in Detroit but every single year, for the most part, there was, I think there was a, maybe a couple playoff appearances in there. I know there was one. But overall, the Lions were just a mess organizational-wise for years and years. And Matt Stafford had to endure the fact that he was playing for a dysfunctional franchise and was never able to really be a winner in a sense. And that was one of the biggest, most intriguing parts of his trade to the Rams is the fact that, listen, now he has a real chance to compete. He has a real chance to be a winner and he has an actual real chance at a Super Bowl. And now they're here. The Rams went all in. I talked about it last week. I mean, Sean McVay pushed all his chips to the middle of the table traded for multiple guys, but most importantly, traded for Matt Stafford. He wanted to upgrade at the quarterback position. That's exactly what he did, and now he finds himself back in the Super Bowl with a new quarterback, with a better quarterback, I think most people would agree upon, and it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to this big of a moment. Uh, He's been pretty good throughout these playoffs. He did have a really tough throw at the end of that game against the 49ers that probably should have cost the Rams the NFC Championship game, but it got dropped, and then he came right back after that, made a good throw, let a drive down the field, and made up for it. So, as much as I say that he did make a big mistake, He made up for it right after it and was able to to regroup and go right back down the field. So that's going to be something to watch here is how does Matt Stafford respond to this big of a moment? Because he's had a full NFL career. I mean, he's he's a Hall of Famer if you look at the stats. It's really now about can he win a Super Bowl and he finally has his chance. And on the other hand, for Joe Burrow, he now has a chance to have one heck of a start to his career. Like I said, he's not supposed to be here. Second year in the league. I mean, coming off an injury last season that ended his season and he was drafted number one overall. So that means that the Bengals were not good when they got him. The turnaround and just the, the sheer fact that he was able to lead this team to the Super Bowl has been impressive. And if he was to win it, man, oh man, would he get off to one heck of a start to his career. I mean, he'd have a chance to really, really do some damage in, in kind of amongst the GOATs 
if you con- if you consider the fact that he would able he would be able to start with the Super Bowl in his first two seasons, and then the sky is the limit. I think that was kind of where Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs got carried away was the success early, and and all the talk that came with that, and that would probably come with Joe Burrow. The expectations would rise. It would get a lot. Of, it would get very interesting from there. But this would be a heck of a start to his career, and it would be huge for the city of Cincinnati, something that they really haven't had in a long time, a championship. They've really not been a good organization for a long time, so a lot riding for Joe Burrow as well, but the the most pressure in this game quarterback-wise is absolutely Matt Stafford in my eyes because of the fact that this is the last box to check. Instead, Joe Burrow, on the other hand, would check one of the harder boxes right off the bat. So that's really the difference here. It's going to be an interesting game. I'm I'm very intrigued, like I'm saying. There's a lot that's going to go into this. I, I'm curious to see if Cincinnati can keep up the kind of the, the takeaway game they've been able to put together. I mean, their defense has really started to step up in these playoffs. They're coming away with takeaways. And during the regular season, they were a bottom half of the league in takeaways. That's not something that they did. But all of a sudden, they're, they're hot at the right time. And, and I don't know. I mean... They got a knack for it in the most important time, I guess, because it has really been crucial to getting them to this point are those takeaways. I mean, the takeaways they were able to get from Mahomes were momentum shifting. They, they changed that game immediately. So, and, and even in the Titans game, I mean, you think about Ryan Tannehill. He was the deciding factor in that game. It's one of those rare things where you can point to one guy and say, I mean, he's the main factor here as to why they lost the game, and that was the case for for the Tennessee Titans and Ryan Tannehill against the Bengals. But this is going to be a good one. It's going to be interesting to see how Joe Burrow responds to the moment, how Matt Stafford responds to the moment, and we're going to see if the Rams' pass rush is really all it's cracked up to be and or can live up to all it's cracked up to be. I will be right back, and we'll see you soon. Time to pay a few bills, so hang tight with more Shat Chat with Bradley Shatraw on WNRI. If you live in North Smithfield, Woonsocket, or Barville and need a landscaper for this summer, Nick Dybala and 3D Lawn Care can take care of all your needs. 3D is known for their quality lawn care and specializes in hardscaping work as well. Call Nick to schedule a quote at 401-692-1631. Let them take care of your landscaping needs so you have more time to do what you enjoy. Recent studies show germs have transmitted at self-service gas pumps. Don't put yourself at risk. Come to Murphy's Full Service Gas, where gasoline is pumped for you while you remain in the comfort of your car. At Murphy's, you pay the same low price whether you pay cash or credit. And free air for your tires for all our customers. Just look for the big green Murphy's sign on Social Street near the Diamond Hill Road intersection. Jacob Rowland Sons Construction is a family-owned business that does many type of masonry work at your home, business, or property. From chimneys, fireplaces, brick steps, block work, outdoor kitchens, veneer work, and other applications, they take care of whatever you need done and are known for their craftsmanship and the quality of their product. So give Tony a call at 401-744-4864 and see why more customers trust Jacob Rowland Sons Construction. 
Do you need a scratch or dent taken out of the body of your car? Visit Cody Auto Body in North Smithfield. It is located right next to Little General at 716 St. Paul Street. And with their state-of-the-art equipment and DuPont paints, owner Mike Cody will take care of all your needs. Give them a call today at 401-762-2883 or go in and talk to Mike directly. He has taken care of my car for years and I've never once been disappointed. You can visit their page on Yelp to get more information. And we are back with the Shot Chat Radio Show here on WNRI. Now, I did talk at the beginning of the show and touched upon Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach. Not necessarily sure what the actual title is there. Has now gone to the Las Vegas Raiders and he will be their head coach after they decided upon it a couple or maybe a few days ago and it really went under the radar because of the amount of things that have come out i mean tom brady officially retiring like i just talked about we got the super bowl week here there's also the brian flores story that came out so really josh mcdaniels this kind of flew a little bit under the radar in the media because of the amount of things that were going on but this is big in the terms of Mac Jones and his development and what's going to happen here going forward. I know there's a lot of people out there that feel as though Josh McDaniels kind of had some or, or too conservative of play calling. And, and they feel as though maybe that held Mac Jones back a little bit. Me personally, I feel as though Bill Belichick had a lot of uh, stamp on the nature of the play calling. I mean, yes, Josh McDaniels is the guy that calls the plays, but I also think. Bill Belichick walks in and when they meet at the beginning of the week, he says, this is what I want kind of from our game plan. This is the direction I want to go. I want to know if you can make that happen. And I'm sure Josh McDaniels carves out the plays and such to meet those requirements for Bill Belichick. So the conservative nature of the play calling, I personally feel as though came more from Bill Belichick, not wanting to ruin the rookie, not wanting to put too much on him early, not wanting to let him dictate the outcome of the game too early. Maybe I'm wrong, and that'll show here in the next few years. But at the end of the day, it really won't, actually. You know, I'm, I'm going to go back on that and, and refute that because it's not going to show. As Even if Josh McDaniels was here this year, I think the Patriots would have kind of let off the leash a little bit and let Mac Jones be more of a grown-up, in a sense, and go out there and, and really let him do more than he was able to do in his rookie season, and as they should. I mean, now you want to see some growth in year two. But Josh McDaniels going out of town... This is really impactful when you think about Mac Jones. I mean, this is the first guy that, that he talks to during the week. This is the guy that he keeps in communications with. And, and Josh McDaniels had a ton of success in New England. I mean, he was great for Tom Brady. We all know that. And I'm sure that he was great for the development of Mac Jones, despite the fact that maybe he was a little too conservative in their play callings, not allowing Mac to do enough or throw the ball downfield enough. But overall, Mac Jones was really good in his rookie season, and it's tough to not think that Josh McDaniels had a lot to do with that because he is directly involved with the quarterback. So it's going to be real interesting to see how this affects Mac Jones moving forward. How, does he have some adjustment periods with whoever they bring in next? And that's another part of this that really kind of sets the antenna off is who's going to be the next guy who who runs this offense who who has their direct correlation with Mac Jones who is his coach in a sense outside of the head coach because Bill Belichick 
is not responsible for the offense. I think we all know he's a defensive-minded head coach. He's a guy that has a lot of input on that side of the ball and probably lets his offensive coordinator have a little bit more of a leeway because they're the specialist in that department. Bill Belichick is more of a defensive-minded guy. But I think it's a no-brainer to go out and hire Bill O'Brien. And I know that name has a little bit of a negative connotation because of his time in Houston. He really... It was tough. I mean, let's be honest. But they gave him more than what New England would be giving him. And when he was in with the Texans, they gave him player personnel. He could do whatever he wanted. He was, ba- he was the general manager. He could make moves. I mean, he was in charge of everything. Really comparable to the tune of how in charge Bill Belichick is. Because he's also a guy that is pretty much the GM of his team as well. But Bill O'Brien makes a lot, a lot of sense for the Patriots. Because of the fact that, number one, he was at Alabama with Mac Jones. He has already a, 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 a relationship with this quarterback. They've been together before. He knows what he likes to do, at least what he likes to do at the college level. And that's really where Mac shined. That's where he had all the flashy plays, was at Alabama. Another thing is Bill O'Brien already has a relationship with Bill Belichick. He's worked for the Patriots before. He's worked with Bill Belichick before. So you don't have that adjustment period. He understands Bill Belichick in the sense of how to work with him, how to coexist with a guy like that. And as we all know, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to kind of coexist with Bill Belichick. So guys who can do it. That's important, and Bill, Bill O'Brien has proved that he can do that. I think he would be good for Mac Jones. I have a call that I would like to take right now. Welcome to Chat Chat. What's going on, Bradley? It's Jamal. Hey, Jamal. How you doing? Doing great. Are you? I'm good. I'm good. So what are you thinking about Josh McDaniels to Vegas, and do you think it's going to have an impact on Mac Jones? Uh, yeah, I think I have some of the impact, obviously. You know, your rookie got kind of comfortable in, you know, your first real NFL system, a notoriously really difficult system to learn. Um, probably probably the most difficult outside of BA, honestly. Um, and now you're switching over to Bill O'Brien, who was also there before. And he had a pretty good, he had a lot, a lot of weapons around Brady at that early um, 2010 time. But, you know, still, you know, very good coordinator. He still, had, he was very good um, coaching the league, honestly. He just got um Kyle Lassack of the GM decisions, of course, with DeAndre Hopkins. But as a coach and as a coordinator, I mean, you know, success has, you know, gone everywhere everywhere he's gone. So, um, you know, it'll be fine. You know, Mac up to adjust a little bit. Um, not ideal for him to switch over to one of the offensive system. Um, they probably want to get this guy um, a couple, you know, some more, um, maybe some more ones and twos. A lot of the guys are kind of like threes and a couple twos on the team as far as weapons go. But, you know, this will probably be better off in the long run. Um as long as, you know, maybe O'Brien kind of stays there a couple of years. Because you don't, you don't want the case to happen. You know, they have another, you know, good year and he you know, leaves again. Now you have another offensive coordinator. I'm sure that's not what Belichick wants. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you definitely don't want it to be jumbled and, and kind of changing every single year. But I think Bill O'Brien's one of those guys that he, he makes the transition a little bit easier than it already would be because of the pre-existing relationships with both the coach and the quarterback. So I think it makes all two sense for them, and, and that's really the direction that they should go. And we'll see if that's kind of the way they go. But let's move to the Super Bowl. I talked a little bit about kind of the Rams' pass rush and how I think that's going to affect the game and, and who has kind of more pressure between the quarterbacks. What are your thoughts on this Super Bowl coming up and, and kind of your expectations of how the game should play out? I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think the Rams are going to pull away late, something like 2010 is what I'm thinking. Um, again, it's going to be extremely tough for the Bengals to really move the ball um, at all with anti-consistency. 
um, even the way they were calling plays on um, the last game where they were kind of just, you know, they were running the ball at nauseum and they were able to break like one within regulation and it finally worked with them in OT. But I mean, that's if you even get the Super Bowl there. Um, and they were just putting Burrow in a lot of third and seven, third and eight, third and seven, third and six. I mean, and they just, you know, that's kind of unrealistic actually your quarterback to consistently keep converting that when your offensive line is getting just consistently beat. Um, I know PFF isn't a real popular thing, but I was even looking at a video. Um, you know, they, they have a, like, a, a carousel at right guard. And both the right guards, literally, these are pass rates out of 100. And the, the, they had a 1.7 and a 0.7 at their pass rates. Like, literally, like some of the, I, I've never seen a grade so badly. Out of 100, 1 and 0. So it's going to be very hard for them to move the ball at all. Um, I know some people kind of expect, you know, Rams to kind of follow um, Jamar Chase. So that's not, that's not really going to happen. You know, that's not how the Rams play defense. I've said it time and time again. They play kind of zone. They're going to stick Rams on the side of the field and the slot or whatever. And that's where he'll be. So if they just don't, if they don't want to move Jamar around, then I mean, then yeah, Ramsey will lock him up or whatever. But if they keep moving him around, it's not like Ramsey's going to just trail him or whatever. Uh, they don't play like that for whatever reason. Um, so maybe they'll, they'll be able to break up a screen pass, they'll be able to break a couple of check downs. But it's going to be very hard for them to move the ball. The Rams still have some troubles. Um, you know, the, the uh, Bengals secondary, they were able to, you know, make a lot of plays uh, in man, man coverage or whatnot, but they'll be able to run the ball, soften them up. They'll be able to make just enough plays to uh, push them over the top. Yeah, I mean, I like kind of how you brought the Cincinnati secondary into this because they've had some success over the past couple of weeks, kind of more, definitely more so than they had in the regular season. But you think about Matt Stafford, I mean, he is very possible to throw an interception and put the ball in harm's way. So that could be a huge factor here for the Bengals to kind of keep this thing close and keep them in the game is to get those turnovers. Because, I mean, like I'm saying, we've seen that Matt Stafford, he makes some ill-advised throws sometimes. And if since he can capitalize on that, that's really where they're going to get some extra chances and really get this game to be interesting kind of by the end. But I'd have to agree with you. I'm definitely thinking that the Rams pull this out. I'd have to agree, yeah, probably kind of pull away late in the end because Joe Burrow's going to make some plays, I'm sure, and Cincinnati should get on the board. But overall, I, I think just too many factors are in the Rams' favor here for them to lose this game. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I said, it's just going to be um, a little just too much for, um, you know, kind of handle. I like what you said about um, Matt Stafford being able to turn the ball off. That's what I wanted to get to, really. Um, yeah, you know, of course, if they're able to, that's probably the only little path of victory. You know, you mess around and get, you know, a pick six, strip sack, fumble return, you know, something like that, or get down to the 20, 30, um, get the Bengals, get some extra possessions, take some possessions away from the Rams. Kind of like, um, you know, it's similar to, you know, 0-1 versus the Patriots and them, you know, kind of keep the ball away from them. They have that um, pick six, um, or no return, you know. You kind of just mess around, you take possessions away from them, just keep the game, you know, get the game into the fourth quarter, close, late, give yourself kind of a padded lead. Um, that's kind of how you get yourself um, to a victory there. Um, without those turnovers, it's going to be very, very hard for them to win because I just don't think they're going to be able to move the ball with any type of consistency. Yeah, it's definitely going to be tough, that's for sure. Now, as for Joe Mixon, like I talked a little bit about him earlier in the show about how he's kind of flown under the radar here in a sense because of Joe Burrow kind of taking the country by storm in a sense, and everybody's looking at Joe Burrow as they should be. I mean, he's the quarterback, but Joe Mixon's had a really good season here. You think he could play a big factor in the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I know people kind of see the whole 1,000 yards thing, and he did have a good season, but a lot of that was really early on. You know, you saw kind of after the five, it kind of as later in the season kind of went, yeah, but it's kind of starting to drop. Um, they do pass, they do, I mean, run block better than they pass block, but I mean, it's nothing great either, so that's part of the struggle as well. But he, he's kind of falling off there, too. I don't really see how they're going to be able to kind of run the ball against that defensive front or that defense really that well, so I don't really see him having that, all that much of an effect. Um, if anything, it's going to be on pass protection. 
Um, you know, I'd rather him, you know, pass attack to give Burrow an extra, you know, half second, second, than, you know, him run around for a check down and get like a yard or so. So, if anything, it'll be because impact will be in pass protection, but that doesn't show up in the box score. Yeah, and I understand that. I mean, when you look at the Bengals and kind of where their success has been, it's definitely been in the passing game, and, and that's really what's taken over in the playoffs for the most part but I, I I mean I figure maybe at some point he's a guy that, that could break one off and, and really do some something that gets Cincinnati some momentum but at the end of the day it's it's going to fall back on Joe Burrow as it should because that's where since he's had the most success is in the passing game when they've gone pass heavy and it's because I mean you look at the weapons you look at the quarterback it makes sense to go pass heavy in their offense. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, like, which is there up there. Yeah, like you know, like I said, maybe they'll break a screen pass, or break a check down, make a big run here. It won't be consistent, but yeah, like I mean, they may break one here or there, and yeah, that's that is where his impact can, can be made. He is a good player. Um, I just think you know, as far as you no know, consistency, you know, what it'll do for the game, like will it be good for the overall game? I don't think. I think it's going to be tough for anyone on the offense to, to, to really do that. Now, an interesting question here is when you look at Sean McVay, he's a guy that's going to have two Super Bowl appearances in four years. Now, if he could get a win here, you think that it could kind of maybe propel him onto a path of at least being in the conversation to potentially be one of the great coaches in the NFL? Yeah, I think he'd have probably the, he'd probably have the argument to be the best coach in the NFL right now as it stands, honestly. Um, I don't think, you know, we recognize Willis' greatness as a long-time figure and all that, but I think, you know, after the past couple of years, I think we realize he's probably not the best coach um, or, you know, in the league right now, you know. Um, you know, he's still a very good coach. We understand what he has right there. But, I mean, if you look at it objectively, you know, we see what Kyle Shanahan is doing and how his team's been, what, Super Bowl, you know, his team got hurt, wasn't able to do much. Still was like, what, 7-9, and nine, some of the Patriots. Then, you know, his team back, and they're right back in the NFC Championship game again. Um, you know, uh, you know, so Kyle Shanahan's up there. Sean McVay, Andy Reid um, had an argument, too. But, you know, he, he uh, you know, kind of messed it up in the conference championship game. Um, Sean Payne's retired. Mike Tomlin, you know, hasn't really been in the Super Bowl um, for for and forever, so I think he has a he has a good argument to be the best coach um, in the league right now. Absolutely, I mean it, it, the success that he's been able to have, and, and I also think kind of a factor in it, it was the move to go get Matt Stafford and, and going all in here, and now showing it from the coaching standpoint of he executed with Matt Stafford and and, and got to exactly where he wanted to go and fulfilled the reason as to why he even made the trade in the first place. Now, let's move to kind of another topic that's taken the sports world by by storm here the past week, and that's Brian Flores. I mean, he's going to come out here, and, and he has gone with a, a lawsuit against the NFL. He feels as though he's been wronged. And from some of the evidence that has come out kind of about Stephen Ross as his time in Miami, I mean, there's some rumors about being offered $100,000 per loss so that the team could get a better spot in the draft. There's stories about potentially in 2019, a prominent quarterback, I think we all knew who that is, probably Tom Brady. He was kind of put in a situation where Stephen Ross had him meet that quarterback on a boat after he had specifically kind of declined that because he knew it was going to go against NFL tampering rules. So I think he has a real good case for wrongful termination in a sense, but the route that he's taking has really taken on kind of a new meaning we're having more coaches kind of add into it what's your opinion on this whole brian flores situation yeah there's a lot of different angles to go through it i'm glad i'm glad you really brought it up here um you know i know the main topic here is he wants to bring you know address the you know the racism and the hiring process and all that um and that's absolutely true i mean we all know it's true um however it's really about what you what you could prove um and you know the the lawsuit he filed it was a good thing because it's not you know like criminal case where you got to prove it you know beyond reasonable doubt you know no doubt in mind it's more like, you know, with a reason, 
we can with reasonable we can reasonably assume that this happened. That's kind of the way they gotta prove this thing here. So it's gonna be interesting to see what kind of evidence gets brought forward or whatnot. Um, I know with the Giants, you know, with the uh, not the Giants, the Broncos, uh, with you know the John Elway and those guys coming hung over to the interview or whatnot. Um, we'll see how he's able to prove that. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, doesn't, you know, I'm gonna put it past them, but it'll be interesting to see how he proves it. Um, same with the Giants and that. Um, you know, getting the text from Belichick and whatnot. And with the Dolphins, you know, it's not necessarily about um, you know, race from what I see. It's necessarily more about you know, um, you know, wrong for termination and you know, I was just wrong with there. So it was interesting how he brought that up. On you know. It doesn't shock me that, you know, Stephen Ross would, you know, offer him 100 k for a loss. I mean, the NFL has to change the way they do the draft thing. They kind of encourage that by now. He's probably not the only team in the league doing that right now. Um, they got to make that a lottery so the teams can just stop tanking. Um, it's literally encouraged, um, in my mind. Um, you know, as far as, like, I do, I do get a little bit question on the, the long termination, too, because, you know, it did happen, you know, the losses with refused happened in his first year and the Tom Brady stuff happened, like, in his, what, first year, second year. Um, and then, you know, Stephen Ross kept him on for two more years. You know, I mean, he was, I mean, look, at couple, just a couple months ago, he was 0-7, we were probably in. You know, he may be on the hot seat a little bit here. Um, so that's the only reason why I kind of question, you know, one termination. I'm like, yeah, he did keep you on for a couple more years. Um, you know, you kind of underachieved, especially kind of this year. Um, you know, last year, you know, with the whole Tua situation, too, probably wasn't handled in the best way. Um, and so, you know, not, I'm not really one to defend Stephen Ross. He's not really a guy that needs to be defended. But I do kind of, you know, wonder their long termination maybe a little bit of a reach right there. But, um, you know, it, de- it definitely doesn't put me past me that Stephen Ross is trying to, you know, tank and rig games and whatnot. And that has to be handled by the league for sure. They're able to approve that. Yeah, the wrongful termination to me is kind of just, it, it seems as though it eventually reached a point where he wasn't complying with, I mean, unethical requests by the owner, and it eventually reached a boiling point. Now, there are some other stories here about how he didn't really want Tua, and he was a Justin Herbert guy, and the organization eventually decided they were going to go with Tua despite that fact. So that probably kind of made a a little kink in this relationship, and and there were some issues there. But, I mean, like you're saying about the hiring process, it's undeniable, especially with the numbers and the percentages it is absolutely undeniable. So that's kind of the big thing is how can you prove that? And like you were saying about the Broncos hiring process, that was something that, that was, I mean, the stories that are coming out are going to be hard to prove. But if those are true, I mean, Brian Flores has a, a solid point. I mean, that's not taking a guy seriously. And another thing about the Giants interview is really I mean, Bill Belichick messed up there with that text message, but at the end of the day, it did show that they had really already predetermined their guy before even giving Brian Flores a fair shot. So that's another thing there that that is some solid evidence. So it's going to be interesting to see how this moves forward. But if you have guys like Hugh Jackson kind of hop in on this and Marvin Lewis, then it becomes even more undeniable. And that's where I think Brian Flores could gain some steam. But at the end of the day, I think he has some solid evidence here, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in however this process goes. Yeah, it's going to be hard to play out. Um, you know, I think he, I hope, I think hope he's able to get the Miami stuff. I'm pretty sure that'll get prone out. But again, we just thought it's just you know the Miami stuff that doesn't really you know address the racism problem in the NFL. Um, it's going to be hard to put that Bronco thing, even that Giants thing. I know it's going to be kind of tough as well because I know um, just to give it a comparison, I'm not saying this because I mean. It's possible that they were acting in good faith. I'm not saying that they will, but I mean, it's possible. I know with the Steelers, before they hired Tomlin, they had everyone for 
you know, in the media circles and all that, I thought I was for sure going to go to what, this other guy. I forget his name right now. I think he was one of the coordinators of the dealers. Yeah, Mike I've heard, I've heard this as well. Yeah, yeah, Mike, you know, of course, Mike Conley, the very last guy interview. Blow him away. He gets the job, of course. So, I mean, it's possible. I doubt that kind of happened. That's kind of, you know, once a blue moon thing. But, you know, it's possible. That's where the NFL, you know, can get the lawyers and do all their, you know, manipulation or whatnot. So it's going to be hard to prove. I salute Brian Lewis to what he's doing. I'm wishing him the best. I do, too, and I'm totally with you there. Now, before I let you go, NBA trade deadline is coming up here in three days. Do you have any wishes as a Warriors fan? Um, Like Clay said, like a new washing machine, I absolutely really don't. I love her. I love what the team is right now. Clay shows absolutely no signs of rust. Curry has broken off of that slump finally. Um, You know, I would just hope for Draymond to get healthy soon. Um, and, you know, you know, we're pretty good. You know, hopefully James Wise, James Wise would come back this season. Um, you know, the Warriors went off. It seems to be kind of, you know, a little tricky with, you know, the wording there. Um, you know, kind of keep pushing back his date and date. The injury seems a bit worse than everyone kind of assumed. But the team and all is pretty good. Um, yeah, if you don't keep Wise back, probably a little bit size. You get, like, like just any tallish center, that would be kind of nice. Uh, you know, the Looney and Bellitas in the world, they're skilled. They're solid. But we kind of need a little, you know, height down there. Um, but, but really, no, man. The team is really solid, up to, you know, top to bottom. Yeah, I don't blame you for feeling that way because of the kind of the season they've had up until this point. Now, in your opinion, is there any chance that the Lakers move off of Russell Westbrook? Um, I mean, not for that money. I mean, he's just the forty-four. I was just talking with my dad last week. I mean, yesterday actually, because I was telling him the Lakers really aren't that. I watched the Knicks game. I mean, they're. I mean, they're a great team. Um, Russell Westbrook is not on the floor. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're an awesome team. Um, I, I was watching them, and, you know, they know, like, notice how they go on runs and they look good when Russell Westbrook is not on the floor or, you know, or when he's not on the floor with AD and LeBron, you know, when, when they were both out, he had a really good game. Um, the Hornets, and, you know, forcing MJ to walk out the arena and all that stuff right there as well. Um, you know, he just, I mean, just, it's just bad, dude. He just turned, turning the ball over. His defense is, no, not, you know, as a ten of. They're just, uh, you know, he's got to, I think he just got to come, he's got to come up the bench. He's got to be a six minute. That's the only way this thing's going to work. Or he's just unplayable. He's a liability out there. Um, it's so clear and obvious, you know, to everybody watching, even the casual viewer, that they are just better when he is not playing with AD and LeBron on the floor. And that is the truth. You are speaking facts, my friend, because coming from a guy that's watched, it's blatantly obvious. And, and right now, they're trying to force the issue, see if he can come around, but that's just not happening. Sometimes you got to admit you whiffed, but like you said, the contract is immensely hard to move. It's hard to envision a situation where another team in the NBA is going to take that contract on. We'll have to see, but I'm with you. I just don't see and out here. I don't see how the Lakers could find a way to get out of this deal and move on. So it looks like they're stuck for the remainder of the season with Russell Westbrook, and they're going to have to figure out how the heck to make this work. Yeah, it's going to be a tough conversation, but I really, really feel it. I know it's going to be tough. He's making $44 million and all that, but I mean, just if he could be a six man, let's come up with the bench. I'd be just the best for the whole team because they could go on a little. I mean, as long as they stay healthy now, you know, AD and LeBron have been kind of questionable with their health in the past couple of seasons. But as long as they stay healthy, um, this is a, I think it's a, I think it's a, a contender, really. I don't, you know, I don't think they're as deep as Phoenix and Warriors, so I don't think it could go, you know, they get to the finals. But I think they have as good a chance as anybody else in the West, honestly, in my opinion. Um, as long as LeBron and AD stay healthy and they keep Russ as far away from that starting lineup as possible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, LeBron and AD, there's definitely some confidence there. But like you're saying, you're going to have to figure out a way to get some production from Russell Westbrook. If that means moving him to a six-man and kind of reducing his role 
that probably would help. So, so I hear you, but I appreciate the call, Jamal, and I'll uh, talk to you next week. Yep, great as always. Appreciate you having me on. Have a good one. All right, another great call from Jamal. Always knowledgeable, always just a great back and forth. Love his calls, and I will be right back. Time to pay a few bills, so hang tight with more Shat Chat with Bradley Shatraw on WNRI. Recent studies show germs are transmitted at self-service gas pumps. Don't put yourself at risk. Come to Murphy's Full Service Gas, where gasoline is pumped for you while you remain in the comfort of your car. At Murphy's, you pay the same low price whether you pay cash or credit. And free air for your tires for all our customers. Just look for the big green Murphy's sign on Social Street near the Diamond Hill Road intersection. It's springtime, the right time to get an upgrade to your home, or how about that addition you've wanted? Print Construction can help, and all you need to do is call Scott Quinn at 401-996-3038 to set up an appointment to get the process started. Scott owns the small company manned by him and his son. They'll take care of any carpentry or construction needs you have, taking the utmost care and thoughtful professionalism to any project at a reasonable pricing to ensure your complete satisfaction. Call Scott Quinn this week at 401-996-3038 at Quinn Construction. Recent studies show germs are transmitted at self-service gas pumps. Don't put yourself at risk. Come to Murphy's Full Service Gas, where gasoline is pumped for you while you remain in the comfort of your car. At Murphy's, you pay the same low price whether you pay cash or credit. And free air for your tires for all our customers. Just look for the big green Murphy's sign on Social Street near the Diamond Hill Road intersection. with the Shot Chat Radio Show here on WNRI. Phone lines are open, so 401-766-1380 or 401-769-0600. Call in, let me know what you think. We can talk whatever you would like. There's a lot going on in the sports world, so I'm an open book. Now, I want to move quickly to Mac Jones and his Pro Bowl kind of entertainment that he put on. I mean, Mac Jones showed some real personality yesterday. I mean, that was really kind of fun to watch him personally show some some personality and, and kind of just have some fun. I mean, he really was the star of the day. If, if you kind of look at the viral clips and such, Mac Jones was kind of the story of the day and, and it was fun to see him and, and he was competitive in it, kind of one of the only guys that was because man oh man was that Pro Bowl brutal to watch. I mean, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Just no effort whatsoever. No tackling. It, it, it was really rough. I mean, I'll be honest. I turned it on for about 10 minutes and turned it right off. I mean, I just, I, I wasn't entertained by, by that kind of football. And the NFL is going to have to find a way to fix that because you can't just keep running it back like this and having no effort whatsoever. I mean, it's one side of the spectrum or it's the other. 
the guys suit up in full pads and they play some football. And I get it. You don't want injuries in the Pro Bowl. And I get that. I make, that makes sense. But it's either you go the route of, of full pads and we're going to play a football game or you're going to put flags on the guys and, and have them go out there and play flag football. And that would still probably be pretty entertaining because of the level of athletes that these guys are. But you got to pick one side of the spectrum. I mean, the whole full equipment out there going through the motions, not even really trying, is just not that fun to watch. I mean, they're in the situation now that the NBA was in probably five, six years ago when all the guys went out and it was just a competition to see who could score the most points and who could do the most bounce pass alley-oops in-game. And I don't know. I mean, when you see the best players in the league, you want to see them kind of show off in the sense of in-game, real situation big plays, not just knowing that the guys are kind of out there lollygagging around and, and, and able to make a crazy catch when nobody's even guarding him. That's just that's not the direction that, that the Pro Bowl should go, but that's really where it's at and that's the reality of what today is. But Mac Jones was fun. I mean, he broke off a long run that didn't actually end up counting, but he got into the end zone and did the gritty, kind of the famous dance right now in the NFL. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. We saw him at the end of the game going back and forth with Mike Vrabel, talking about how it was an illegal formation. I think there was a little bit of joking there, but he was fun. He was a lot of fun, and it shows. I mean, this is a kid that's got some personality, and I'm, I'm thinking it's going to start to come out over the next couple seasons. We're going to really start to see him come into his own, not be that shy rookie quarterback, and it's going to be fun to see where the personality of Mac Jones takes him here in New England for the next couple seasons. Now, let's move to Major League Baseball. And the reason I want to move there is because right now we're, we're still in a lockout. And the latest on that lockout is the MLB met with the Players Association trying to figure out what it was going to take to to agree upon a new collective bargaining agreement. Now, they're getting into dangerous territory here because spring training is supposed to start up here soon. I mean, pitchers and catchers would have already reported. So spring training's coming here soon, and, and it's looking like that's not going to happen. And the next step after no spring training is a delay on the season. And I'm going to say right now, it's a horrible reflection on the sport of baseball if they are not able to start this season on time and play 162 games. The sport is already not in a great spot when you think of broad viewership-wise. But if you're to put a lockout here, it's going to leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths that you really don't want as a sport that's trying to gain viewership, trying to gain popularity as other sports around it dominate the, the, the marketing of their own sport. I mean, baseball's just not there. It's behind in a lot of ways to other sports. But a lockout would do even more damage to a sport that just can't afford it. I mean, I'm not one of those people that thinks baseball's dead. But I do think it's not the most popular sport anymore, and there's really no denying that. It, it has taken a backseat to football, and basketball is buzzing right around there, maybe even more popular. I'm not sure. But now, the latest on this, like I was talking about, is the Players Association and the MLB met, and they were not even close. 
They were not even in the same ballparks as each other, which is a very bad sign. So the MLB wanted to go out and they wanted to bring in a mediator, uh, an official mediator, somebody that should come in and speed up the process of negotiations. And the Players Association denied that request. They would have had to approve a mediator. They did not approve that. And really the reason they did that is because I guess in 1994 when the last MLB lockout happened, the MLB brought in a mediator and he was more of a puppet than a mediator. He did everything that the MLB wanted to do, backed everything that the MLB wanted to do, and it really felt as though he wasn't a mediator. He was more of a puppet for the MLB to get exactly what they wanted. And that's the last thing the players want here. I mean, the players have come a long way in sticking up for themselves with this players' union and the players' association they are backing the players. They want to get the most out of this. They want to get some more money in free agency. They want to get less team control. I don't think the players like the fact that teams can control players for so long at the beginning of their careers. I mean, I don't see how this gets resolved by opening day with where we are at right now. But it's got to it's gotta happen. The league and the players have to find a way because coming from a guy who watches 162, who loves the sport, this would not be a good look. It would not, especially after a couple seasons ago, what happened in the COVID season where they just could not come to agreement. I mean, the MLB should have played 100 to 130 games that year. They should have. But the Players Association and the owners could not come to an agreement. They ended up settling on a 60-game season because I think everybody looked around and said, you know what, screw it, we want to play. So they made it happen. But at the end of the day, this is not going in a good direction. I am starting to get concerned and at where this is at right now, this negotiations process, it is not looking good for opening day. Now, I talked to Jamal a couple moments ago about the NBA trade deadline. That's coming in three days here. And there's a lot of moving pieces at the deadline. There's a lot of big questions like, are the Brooklyn Nets going to trade James Harden for Ben Simmons? That's not going to happen, at least not from what Steve Nash is suggesting, not from what the Athletic was reporting about Brooklyn Nets GM Sean Marks saying, I'm not going to field any calls for James Harden. I'm not even going to entertain the idea. I mean, Daryl Morey for the Philadelphia 76ers made that call, wanted to check in, see if they could make this happen. And it's not looking like it's going to happen. And I don't blame the Nets because, number one, they can get Simmons in the offseason if they wanted to. they got to give this Harden thing more time. But, man, it's not looking good in Brooklyn right now. I think they've lost seven or eight in a row. It's been rough sledding. I mean, Kyrie Irving is still only playing away games, so they don't have their full-time point guard. It's, it's a mess. I mean, James Harden did not. I mean, I think he played 36 minutes probably a week or two ago and only had four points. So it's really not looking good in Brooklyn. They're going in a bad direction. I think a Ben Simmons trade actually would make some sense, and they're one of the only teams in the league that it would make sense for just because they have other guys like Kyrie and Kevin Durant to pick up the load scoring the basketball that they would lose with James Harden, but they would improve significantly defensively with Ben Simmons. I I think it could work, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Another question is, what are the Celtics going to do here? Are they going to be active? There's been a lot of rumors about Dennis Schroeder. There's been a lot of rumors about Marcus Smart. Apparently, both have been in trade talks. They've been floated around. The Celtics have fielded some calls on those guys. I'm thinking they don't end up trading Marcus Smart. This is kind of a yearly thing. They always say, oh, he might get traded at the deadline, and he never does. But the Dennis Schroeder, to me, 
that makes the most sense for the Celtics because they brought him in on a discount. They only have him for this season. At least get something for him. Don't let him walk at the end of the season without getting anything in return for him. So the smart move for the Celtics, I think, would be moving off of Dennis Schroeder. But he's also kind of an insurance plan here for if you did want to move off of Marcus Smart, get that money off the books. Dennis Schroeder can fill in for the remainder of the season. Then you come back to the drawing board in the offseason. You say, all right, how are we going to fill Marcus Smart's role? How are we going to do this? How are we going to build our team? Because like I have always said about the Boston Celtics, it was never about this season when they traded Kemba Walker. It was about this coming offseason. That's when the money's going to free up. That's when they're really going to have some cap to spend as a team. And it's going to be interesting to see how they fill out their roster and surround the two stars that they currently have on this roster. Do they bring in a third star, which I think a lot of people are expecting them to do? That would put them in contention. They would be title contenders. But this season, it's going to be interesting to see which move they make. Are they going to trade Marcus Smart? Because they'd probably get, no, no, they would get more value out of a Marcus Smart trade than they would a Dennis Schroeder trade. But at the end of the day, they got to get some value for either one of those guys and the other can kind of step into the role and, and, and fill to, to the best that they can that role that will be leaving on the way out. And another question that I touched on with Jamal was, can the Lakers move off of Russell Westbrook? Are they going to make a move? What are they going to do at the deadline? Because they need something. I mean, they need change in L.A. I agree with Jamal in the sense of when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis both fully healthy, you've got a chance. I mean, that's that's the truth. I, I would not be surprised if I was to look up and the Lakers made a run with those two guys. And you kind of look around like, how are they doing this? Because this team was not that good in the regular season. But... I don't see how they can make that run with Russell Westbrook on this roster. My big thing here is, could they find a way to trade him to the Houston Rockets for John Wall? And I get that John Wall hasn't played in a little while. It's a real funky situation in Houston. But Russell Westbrook, John Wall both have some really comparable contracts. I think a change would be exactly what the Lakers need. It would kind of reinvigorate the team, allow them to make a second-half push if they are going to. John Wall's a guy who can shoot a little bit better than Russell Westbrook. He doesn't make as bad of decisions that we've seen this year from from what Westbrook's done to this point. So I think it would be a really interesting move. And I, the Lakers would probably have to give up more than they are willing to. But it would make a lot of sense. Like I've said, sometimes you have to admit you whiffed. The Lakers whiffed on Russell Westbrook. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in any respect. The money doesn't make sense. The on the court doesn't make sense. Off the court doesn't make sense anymore. The Lakers have a problem and they have to find a way to move off of that problem. I like Russell Westbrook, but I just don't think he makes any sense in L.A., and that has played out this season. Now to finish off the show, two of the Red Sox back to baseball just to finish it off real quickly here. The Boston Red Sox are rumored to be the favorite to sign Saya Suzuki once the lockout is over. They are apparently the front runners to sign Saya Suzuki. And that's important because that shows that Chaim Bloom had a plan when he went out and traded Hunter Renfro. And I always assumed he did because it just didn't it, it was an eyebrow raiser. And Chaim Bloom's not a guy that that makes these rash decisions and sometimes doesn't have a reason for it. He showed last season he has a reason for every move he makes. And most of the time, it pays dividends. At least it did last year. And I think 
moving on to Saya Suzuki would make a lot of sense for the Red Sox because of the fact that he's a guy that has tremendous power. At least he's shown that in Japan. He hit for a good average. He got on base enough. And he was a three-time Gold Glove winner in Japan. So he's a guy that can play the field as well. And, and that's something that I think a lot of fans worried about when you move off a guy like Hunter Renfro was the flashiness in the field by Renfro. He had a big arm. He could get to some fly balls that you didn't expect him to sometimes in the gap. He was a guy that, that was a good outfielder, and he had a great season at the plate. I mean, 30 and 100 is what you shoot for in the MLB. That's a big deal, and Hunter Renfro was able to reach those heights, 30 homers, 100 RBIs. But that's another reason as to why Haim Bloom moved off of him, because it's just, I don't think he does that again. 30 and 100 was the by far the best season of Hunter Renfro's career. And he, he, sometimes you have to ask yourself, is this the tip of the mountain? And I think the Red Sox felt that this was the tip of the mountain with Hunter Renfro. They had to move off of him when his value was at its highest. And it makes a lot of sense because they got two prospects along with Jackie Bradley Jr. who can be one of the better fourth outfielders in the MLB for this team because of the fact that he is a fantastic defender maybe the best defensive outfielder in all of baseball. He has an argument for that, and that's going to be key for the Red Sox in situations where they have to make a defensive replacement late in the ball game. When you have Jackie Bradley Jr. sitting on your bench and it gets to the seventh, eighth inning, and you have a defensive alignment out there that you're just not necessarily, you don't think that's your 100% best, you enter Jackie Bradley Jr. in the outfield, and I can guarantee that makes your defensive alignment much, much better. I mean, he is one of those guys that just has a talent with the glove, and it's going to be fun to watch him back in Fenway Park. He's made a ton of great plays. I think the fan base is going to welcome him back despite the fact that he does struggle to hit the ball, but that's why you were to bring in a guy like Saya Suzuki to be your third outfielder. He will start more. He will get more playing time. A guy that can hit the ball and is still a pretty good fielder, but at the end of the day, you'll always have the option to put Jackie Bradley Jr. in center field, move Kike Hernandez to second base, it's we all know the Red Sox like to have options. Hyam Bloom likes to have as many options as he can. I don't blame him, but I really hope they are able to get their hands on Saya Suzuki because then at least you have kind of an insurance plan here for if Kyle Schwarber is to move on in free agency, which he has a big market. There's no doubt about it. Kyle Schwarber has a big market. That's a guy that they might not be able to bring back. And if they were able to replace him with a guy like Saya Suzuki, at least you have somebody else. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and I will see everybody next week. You've just experienced the newest trend in radio sports talk, Chat Chat with Bradley Shatraw. Tell your friends and fellow sports fans to tune in next Monday evening at 7 p.m. for the reason you listen to local radio. This is WNRI Woonsocket.